The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. We have actually some audio that I found interesting from inside. This is from Kevin... I guess, and I didn't realize this, is the Big Ten was kind of, it was really as we were getting off the show on Friday, Oregon and Washington were, I'll be honest, everything I had read on Thursday was that Oregon was, it was a fait accompli that Oregon was going to join the Big Ten and Washington was going to piggyback in with them. And I know there was some there were some reports on Friday that that was off the that was put back on the back burner. I I think they were going full bore all along. But I mean, we now know that Oregon and Washington are in, along with UCLA and USC. Uh, this is, and my understanding is, I don't know which network it was, snuck in a, a tape recorder, kind of like the Bob Knight, the famous Bob Knight locker room uh, speech from the nineteen ninety season. Uh, if you're not going to recover Greg Graham, th- th- it was secretly recorded. I think this was a secret recording of the Big Ten offices uh, on Friday afternoon here. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. That's pretty much what the Big Ten sounded like, right? Um, Here's... <laughs> here's here's the, the what's reality. the new commissioner's name? It's not Kevin Warren anymore. What's his name? Oh, it's the Kevin Warren's with the Bears now. I, you know, I forget. I still want to say Jim Delaney, but Jim Delaney was obviously the one that came up with the Big Ten Network, which is the the spearhead in all of this. Um, I really believe this, Kevin. Tom and Petiti, hear me out. Tony Petiti. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounded like some TV name. You now have eighteen teams, and they're gonna add clearly two more. And I really do think those two are going to be Stanford. And then once Stanford comes in, conventional wisdom says that Stanford will bring Cal with them. And that does make sense. Why wouldn't they all just go together? Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal all at the same time. Um, Yeah, I can't answer why they would not have all come at the same time. I think, except for this. I think the real domino here is Notre Dame. And I do believe that the Big Ten is still actively pursuing Notre Dame and Notre Dame is receptive to those talks. But I think Notre Dame still wanted to see what happens with the ACC, which is where they have obviously some alignment. And the ACC looks like they might survive all of this. I mean, there was some talk at one point that the ACC would be the one that would kind of go the way of what the Pac-12 had happened, and that it would be poached to the fact of dissolved. I think the ACC, Florida State, which now, by the way, Florida State, apparently, I I don't think there's truth necessarily to it being Saudi money, but now with NIL, Florida State is apparently the one that's actively pursuing getting sponsorship from like you know investment fund groups uh, that becomes a whole different talk show 
but the ACC schools that would be probably in out there to be plucked would be probably North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson. I, I don't think Syracuse. But I think Notre Dame wants to see what happens with those. But the, the money, here's the thing, Kevin. I, I realize that a lot of these conferences want to protect themselves by pointing out the financial obligations that universities would have if they were, or the buyouts necessary to leave like the, the contractual television deals they have. Uh, the Big Ten and the Big Ten Network money is such that I think anything can be offset. And I think we've seen that. I personally believe that the last two that are going in the end, and I don't think it's going to be imminent. I think it's probably a year from now. But I think Stanford and Notre Dame are the two that now come in. What that does to Cal, I don't know. Because Cal is in a different – it's just a different university than Washington State and Oregon State. Washington State and Oregon State do have kind of a Mountain West type feel to them. I, I don't mean that as a disrespect to those universities. But Cal, from an academic standpoint, is on a totally different level. Yeah, I could totally regret this comment at some point, Jake, but I'd be surprised if Notre Dame made that move in such a quick manner. And obviously, conference realignment has beyond reshaped the... I don't think that's a quick manner, though. The the pace of this. I mean, they just their new athletic director is the former president of NBC. So Notre Dame... Notre Dame wants two things. They want to maintain their TV presence on NBC, and they want to maintain a seat at the college football playoff table. And right now they've got both, and with a new athletic director that just comes from the president of NBC, I don't see that relationship being fractured anytime soon. And I think it's quite appealing to other conferences to say, hey, yeah, you know, we, we can make this type of money by playing Notre Dame in a non-conference schedule. Now, do we ever see non-conference schedules just totally evaporate? Do we see the SEC just say, screw, you know, screw that idea. We're, we're just only going to play conference games. Yeah. Big Ten, same thing. I think that's probably a question that Notre Dame um, could face here, but that is not on the horizon seemingly anytime soon. Um, you know, I'll to me, it, it just it has the feel that football just needs to break away. Because how can you sit here and say from a academic, social life, you know, you hear all these team or university presidents or athletic directors right now, the mental health of our students is the most important thing. How can you say, oh yeah, we're going to travel and go play a volleyball game on a Wednesday in Eugene or Seattle, and we'll be back in State College and expect them to go to class the very next morning? Well, or hey, we're not going to do an NCAA tournament in football because it takes our student-athletes, takes them too far away from the classroom when that actually is during winter break and yet the NCAA tournament happens during school. You know what I mean? I mean, there's again, all, when does this the hypocrisy get, is all over the place. When does this get to March Madness? Isn't that only a matter of time? I mean, how much does having 31 automatic bids... 15 of them go to schools that, unless they pull off an upset, they are not drawing anything in from a TV revenue standpoint for March Madness. How much of that does it eventually turn into? And again, I guess you're going to have to migrate from CBS, which I know there's probably a long contract there, to Fox and ESPN, because it seems like those two TV networks are controlling things more than any else in this realignment madness. Um, How much of that do you think is going to impact um, where the future of the March Madness tournament goes. And that, to me, is just an absolute huge bummer. 
because I love it the way it is. I mean, honestly, I'd probably go back to 64 than it is 68. Um, but that is a question that I definitely have about a, a non-football question about an event that, to me, ranks right up there with any other in terms of appointment television. One of my favorite things to do, Kevin, every year during the IndyCar race, Nick Yeoman and I go into the same, there's a Lids Outlet store in at, at John's Pass in Florida. And we go into it, and we have a, a deal every year where we each name a school, and if that school's hat is represented inside the store, we have to buy it for the other one. I think Nick has gone with like San Jose State before, and I've gone with Wyoming or New Mexico or whatever. And we've never had to buy the hat because it's always the same like 20 schools that are in you know any store. If you go into a – and I, I like to use Lids. We all know what Lids is or Hat World or whatever it's called now. If you go into one of those stores in a mall, if the malls still exist, and give me a – Mark Dykton, give me a town off the top of your head, city off the top of your head somewhere in the U.S. Mokina. Excuse me? Mokina, Illinois. Okay, you said well, a city. I just throwing a name out there. Go ahead. There you go. Outside of the Big Ten region, oh, I should have been more specific. Sake. Yeah, you should have been more specific. Okay, outside Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, Texas. Jeez, only you, a matter of time before they're in Texas. That was like when he asked you for an example and you gave one. He's like, no, 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 not that one. Okay, you, you go into Amarillo, Texas, and you walk into a lid store. What schools are you guaranteed to have the hats for? Hanging on the hang on, Notre Dame, Michigan, North Carolina, probably Florida State, uh, Ohio State, Alabama. Those schools, the, the the transcendent, no matter what market you're in, no matter what region you're in, schools, I have long felt the schools of that kind of a brand were eventually going to form a super conference. And then, and I know it sounded crazy when I first thought of this like three or four years ago, secede from the NCAA and just say, we don't, we don't need it. And like... In just football or all sports? Well... Football anchors everything. So I would say all sports. Somebody sent me a thing and they're like, Fuh. the big Purdue would never be in jeopardy. They just had the number one ranked school and ba- number one ranked team in basketball. And Purdue's a fine academic institution. I get both those things, indisputably. But I'm telling you right now, the conference realignment and these conferences going after schools, they care about three sports football, pigskin, and the, the one that plays on Saturdays, the day before Sunday when the NFL plays. Football is the, is the sport driving everything. Otherwise, Kansas would have been talked about a lot. You know, otherwise, like Duke would have been like an absolute ACC never, like everybody would have been coming after Duke. Isn't that what all about maybe football. the Big 12 does? Like with the whispers about UConn and Gonzaga? Isn't that kind of what the Big 12 is trying to do? In terms of what? Have a little bit more of a basketball prominence to them, realizing they've got a, you know, zig yeah, you, as they, everyone else zags. That's probably right. I mean, they've got a. I mean, it's nothing official, but I think there is some rumor. What are they at? 16 right now, the Big 12? Right. If and the Big 12 give number, them credit because, Kevin, there was Gonzaga a lot of discussion. Have been there was a lot of thought that the Big 12 would be the one that was completely dissolved. And the Big 12, unlike the Pac-12, the Big 12 had two choices. One was to sit there and not believe the hype, or the other one was to start getting active. And they got active. I mean, it is confusing in terms of like trying to figure out who's in what conference. Uh, I know Adam want to talk a little realignment here. What's up, Adam? Hey guys, how you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good. It, it, it seems like to me the addition of the four teams is a net positive for football, and I'm kind of in a net neutral for basketball. I'm a huge hooper. College hoops is my my jam, and I agree that football kind of is the anchor, kind of subsidizes all the other sports. It's the big dog. 
but it just seems like there are some schools here in the Midwest, you know, your Kansases, your Kentuckys, your Louisville. There are some other schools that I'm wondering if you guys think that there is any consideration from the basketball perspective. Because it does, I mean, it's a moneymaker in itself. You know, Mark Madness does bring in the cheddar. Um, do you see any, uh, besides the expansion out west to what you guys were saying for Stanford, maybe Cal, they just, neither of those teams, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a net positive adding Stanford and Cal for football. It just seems like, hey, we're just adding them to add them. Well, I think here's what, Adam, great points. Let me let me go back to this. It is my understanding. Now, I wasn't in the room, right? But it is my understanding that with the Westward expansion, the Big Ten initially reached out to USC. And the Big Ten reached out to USC and said, listen, we want you to join us. And that's because they wanted the football program of USC, plain and simple. They didn't care about, you know, the fact that O.J. Mayo played basketball there and Harold Miner and what they, they wanted – USC football and USC said to the Big Ten for travel partner purposes and a lot of people forget like back in the day the Big Ten if you would remember Indiana in basketball I remember this way Indiana would always play the two-step where they'd go to Northwestern and Wisconsin in the same weekend trip and typically there was another the, the way that they did the scheduling there was another team that was paired with Indiana that they traveled they didn't travel together per se but the scheduling was done that way USC basically said for travel pairing purposes, we will come to the Big Ten, but we'll come so long as UCLA can come with us. And in the meetings, USC basically had its back, UCLA's back by saying like, and keep in mind, you're getting UCLA basketball. You're getting Pauley Pavilion and Bill Walton and John Wooden and the tradition. And the Big Ten said, yeah, 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 spare us all that. We don't care about that. Um, They play in the Rose Bowl. That's cool. What are they bringing football? What's their football revenue? And USC essentially said, like, we're coming, but only if UCLA comes with us. And they said, okay, fine. And I think they wanted Oregon because Oregon is a huge football moneymaker because of the Phil Knight thing. And in basketball, they make some money, but not like football. The, the, Oregon, just in general, their athletic department is – they are literally burning hundreds, So, uh, amongst other things. So Oregon, the Big Ten went after, and Oregon said, look – that's all well and good, but we we also want like a travel partner. And Washington has football cachet. They've been in the college football playoff. They were a national champion within the last thirty five years, which I know is ancient history, but still, they have some cachet from a football standpoint. But Washington was able to piggyback in with Oregon because Oregon is the football moneymaker, and that's why I think the Big Ten will continue to recruit. Notre Dame. Now, as for Stanford, what Stanford does is Stanford does have football cachet, but more so Stanford brings you, and this is the one thing that would offset if you were like of an average football revenue program, Stanford is the most elite academic institution in America, period. And so therefore, that has with it for the Big Ten an incredible appeal. If the Big Ten could get Stanford and Notre Dame, as the final pairing. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if they could, it is a huge coup because then you have, literally, you're bringing in two of the top 10 academic reputed schools in America. I I don't understand if you are Purdue or Indiana, and let's take their respective presidents, for example, and you sit in these meetings and you're voting Oregon and Washington in, and obviously the easy answer, Jake, is money. I do think at some point you reach a, do you really need to add X amount of million more into your budget for 
the addition of Oregon and Washington. Like at some point, what? How does Indiana and Purdue's football programs benefit from Oregon and Washington? Money. When has any member of a fan base ever said, we're Indiana football, we have more money than Cincinnati football, so we've had a better last five years than Cincinnati football's had? Well, Kevin, you're separating fan base from, I mean, you're confusing that fan base has authority when it comes to a university making monetary decisions. But, and again, I know I'm very naive with this, but isn't there an element where you have reached a standpoint of these are massive pieces of the pie that Indiana and Purdue are getting from a TV right standpoint? Okay. Huge piece right. of the pie. But at some point, isn't your prestige also based off wins and losses of the biggest moneymaker driver in your athletic department? And that is your football program that, I guess, Indiana different than Purdue a little bit, but has been the absolute laughingstock of college totally. football. And now you get pushed further down that ladder. And Jake, at some point, tradition and history but Kevin, are great, but at some point, and you brought this up earlier, when does the Big Ten say, okay. hey, let's just cut the fat from the end of the conference and let's try and go get Notre Dame, Clemson, North Carolina, you know, I whoever totally else are that. these other elite football programs where you just push out all the tradition you've ever had as a conference. Now, here to answer the first part, Indiana, we'll use Indiana as an example. We can go Purdue with this as well, but, but I'll use the Indiana example because you're right. Their football program is a disaster, and it has been forever. Indiana's football program is the losingest program in the history of college football, right? But in the last 10 years, Indiana, suddenly their baseball program like has become a thing. Like People care about Indiana baseball. I see people like, on tw- like oh, man, that you know they went to the – college world series and chris limonis had them going in the right direction and kyle schwarber and people like care about indiana baseball suddenly all of a sudden their women's basketball program selling out assembly hall and they're they're thriving in the ncaa and in, in big 10 women's basketball their swimming program has had not necessarily the dot councilman level resurgence but a resurgence nonetheless and they have great facilities they have a, a sports media program that is like getting all kinds of money put into it that comes from, not entirely, but largely, the revenue generated by the Big Ten Network, by being a Big Ten member school. And what now they have done, Kevin, and the reason why they went out and got USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington, is this reason and this reason only. And that is because, not, not, not only, but that is because the Big Ten Network, unlike the, the Pac-12 Network, tried to do what the Big Ten Network did, but the Big Ten Network was first. So the Pac-12 Network's problem was they couldn't get in enough homes with cable penetration. There weren't enough broadcast carriers that were carrying the Pac-12 Network. So when they went to advertisers and other such things, those places were like, well, wait a minute. If we buy you, we're only in 38% of American homes. The Big Ten Network is available across the board because they were the first. They're on DirecTV. They're on Hulu, they're on you know everything, right? And now what you and so then the last hurdle, the last mountain for the Big Ten Network was this: they had gotten to the point where they had almost 100 percent penetration of American households of televisions, but that doesn't mean that those households all had incentive to watch the Big Ten Network because you had two major metropolitan areas of the united states in time zones that didn't have interest in the big 10 because of the time differences and those areas were southern california and the pacific northwest 
And now the Big Ten can go to insert name of corporation and say, hey, if you advertise on the Big Ten Network, not only do you get 100% penetration into households, but we can guarantee you now, you're getting eyeballs in every single time zone of the United States. Cool, sign me up. How much money can I give you? And the money just keeps coming. And it's like Deion Sanders said, it's all about the bags. Yeah, I think at some point, you know, let's turn in like an NFL owner sort of comparison. I don't think the Rooney family with the Steelers would be up there in the top five richest NFL owners, but I think Jerry Jones would trade the success that he has had with the Cowboys with Art Rooney in a heartbeat. And I think at some point you've got to look at these conferences and say, yes, we are you know racking in millions of dollars, but if you're a university president... Would you sacrifice five million to have your football program have a much better chance at being competent to yes. better than competent? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because Jerry Jones and the Rooney's have one job and one job only, and that is to uh, to make their football team win games. A university president, a football team winning games, is the caveat towards bringing in the financial revenue towards building their academic institution, which is their primary job on the surface. Right, your your football team winning games, but an Oregon Washington well, move or, or, is I'm not sorry, helping I'm your sorry, football team. I'm win sorry, games. your football team, your football team's revenue. Sorry, your football team's revenue, which comes from winning games. Not if you're a part of the Big Ten now, Kevin, with these television contracts. What I'm saying is, being a doormat, Indiana being a doormat in the Big Ten, is giving them far more financial windfall than what Baylor's getting by being in the Big Twelve and winning games. It's a dangerous game. At some point, they look at the the bottom feeders and say, "When do we cut that?" I, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. And I just don't see how Oregon and Washington, outside of a slight financial bump when you're already in an absurd stratosphere of finances, helps you out in the long term as a football program. Again, Mike DeCourcy is going to join us coming up at 9.30, chat more about this. Uh, We'll get back into the Colts conversation on the other side. Let's hit a morning check down. The Reds stink. Uh, That's six in a row for the Reds, tying their longest losing streak of the year. And all of a sudden, the Cubs and the Reds tied for second in the NL Central. That is one and a half games behind the Milwaukee Brewers. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? That deserves to be played. That is so succinctly said, which is what makes it so great, right? Well, where are you going to go? Mark just blasted that on the road trip. Girls, we're not going to listen to anything else in the car. We're just going to listen to this. The Cubs take two of three from the Braves. So, as I said, one and a half back, both the Cubs and the Reds now in the NL Central. And we're starting to get to that point in the season where it's like, where's Hunter Green? Where's um, where's any sort of competent pitching is probably the best way to put it. Nick Lodolo for the Reds right now, yes. Uh, Fever yesterday, losers in Atlanta, 82-73. They are now 7-21 overall. That is two straight. Back in action, taking on Los Angeles at the Fieldhouse. That is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Racing yesterday, Kyle Kirkwood, the winner on the streets of Nashville, Tennessee. Scott McLaughlin was a pole sitter, finished in second. More importantly, or most importantly, I guess I should say, you have Alex Pelot that finished one spot ahead of Joseph Newgarden. That extends Pelot's 
championship points lead now to 84 points with just four races remaining. Uh, other notes from the weekend, the U.S. women's national team, they lose in the round of 16 at the World Cup. By all accounts, they were certainly the better team than Sweden throughout that game, but could not put it in the back of the net. And then when penalty kicks rolled, rolled around, the U.S. got a lead, but Megan Rapinoe and Sophia Smith both just absolutely choked. Um, both knocked their penalty kick attempts way over the goal there it went into sudden death penalty kicks and that was when sweden converted the u.s did not and so they advanced sweden to the final eight for the first time in world cup history the u.s women's national team do not make the final four i have a question for you that is meant to sound not meant to sound snarky is going to come off that way uh i was watching yesterday Lionel messi continues to to kind of dazzle in the mls with miami mm-hmm. and I was like, man, this is great for the MLS. And then I thought to myself, is he giving a shot in the arm at the MLS or is he illuminating the incredible chasm between the level and skill of play of top-level soccer players and what's played in the MLS? Oh, probably both. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, they just want eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I don't know if social media is a basis of it, but if you look at like the social media following that has changed for Inner Miami in the last couple of weeks, it is just in a whole different world from where they were to where they are now. And the thing about Messi, and again, I think other soccer people can probably speak to this a little bit better, but like his ability to convert those free kicks, like you're seeing, those are instant highlights. It's not like he's like an elite defensive player or he's an elite goalie to where you need some other things to happen. As long as you get fouled in the general area near the goal, he's got the ability to do something that is just going to go viral in a heartbeat on social media. So I think like his style as a player um, certainly plays into that as well. Last time we had Joel A. Eric. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Boxing on. I'll be honest, there are parts of my body a bit more exposed than usually. Okay. Are. Okay. A little more clothed this time. Did, did he let you just keep it, or is he like, I have to wash this now? Well, he said he preferred bleach. Uh, Tuckman Cleaners, I think, was his recommendation on that. Um, I, I handed it back to Joel, actually, and he seemed to be content with the condition that I handed it back. Uh, Joel, have you worn your, I, I guess, tank top brewer shirt since then? I, I have not. It has been washed. It has been washed, and then it put back in the, uh, in no, the no, drawer. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you actually wear that thing, Joel? Oh, absolutely. Where, where, I was leading the NL Central. I, I where mean, in 2023 does one wear tank tops? Uh, to baseball I, to baseball games that are like 90 degrees. Yeah, could not agree more. Okay. Lollapalooza. <laughs> the infield of the Indy 500. I was going to say. The, the beach. 
The beach is the a good beach? place where I take that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, when was the last time the Milwaukee Brewers had a home game that was 90 degrees? Uh, I was uh, – the last one I went to was in that range. It was Brewers-Reds right before the All-Star break with Wade Miley. They didn't just close the roof and turn on the air conditioning? Uh, see, the thing about the roof is when they close it, if there's the air conditioning, there's not really air conditioning in there. So if it's hot and they close the roof, it turns into like a uh, sauna. Yeah, it's like Lucas Oil want, Stadium. They built a to roll over if it's yeah. hot. You Lucas Oil Stadium. They forgot to put in a drainage ditch. They couldn't put in air conditioning at Miller Park. What the? What are these people doing? What the hell is going Speaking on? Speaking of AC, it, it was probably the coolest Colts practice of camp yesterday. Out there at Grand Park, Joel was there per, per usual. Anthony Richardson, um, Joel, I think his best day with the starters. I was saying to Jake last segment, I think what stood out to me was in was really that, that, that situational period at the end. You know, I think oftentimes we evaluate quarterbacks, or we should, and what separates them is in those moments. Red zone, two minutes fourth quarter, etc. And what you saw with Richardson is you saw his arm and the throw to Granson and then his legs on the two-point conversion. I think just like those are some moments that you point to. There's not a lot of it at Florida, but eventually, you know, that's what's going to be the separator for him whenever he does get into game action. Yeah, and and just to add on top of that, the the touchdown pass to Alec Pierce was during what Steichen calls a call-it period where the, the players don't know what the script is. They don't know what plays are going to be running. It's like a game where it gets called in. And so, like, uh, you know, I know that Shane Steichen was looking at yesterday as he was going to put a little pressure on his guys and see how they responded. And for Richardson to turn in his best practice so far uh, is is a really good sign from the rookie. Um, it feels like those last two days uh, in particular, uh, the first time on Saturday night with the, the second team and then yesterday with the first team, uh, those those were the first times that you kind of came away from it going, wow, that's that's a really good practice from the rookie. Were there any was there anything, Joel, that you felt like schematically was different that they might have tweaked that was to the liking of Anthony Richardson that increased his comfort level? Um, I I don't know if it's schematically or if they just told him to take the the. Um, the governor off a little bit, but it felt like when he ran yesterday, it felt like it was more decisive uh, and more. He, he was. He, I, I felt like at times when he's when he's been in in practices before that he hasn't he hasn't really used his legs uh, in the same way as like as we were expecting, uh, where, he's, where he's taking off, kind of, you know, making making a clear decision in the pocket and taking off. I did feel like that was the case yesterday. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if that was part of it. Uh, I also, I also think it's important to note that the first team defense, uh, did not have the force Buckner, um, doesn't have Samson and Bukum. Yeah. They're down uh, five starters yesterday. Yeah. So I, I do think that that's, that's something that should be noted too, is that, is that the defense was missing some of the guys who could make life, uh, more difficult. Yeah. Three of those five in the secondary, something we were talking a little bit about earlier. Um, on the Richardson front, again, Joel A. Erickson is joining us here from the Indianapolis Star. I think he drew the short end of the stick and is off to Buffalo later this week for the preseason opener. Um, <laughs> you believe Richardson will start that preseason opener and play how much? I, I, I guess I'm asking, not trying to infer that. Yeah, that's... I mean... 
obviously when we've asked Shane about it, he's given us less than zero hints about what he wants to do uh, with it. I think if it were me, I would start Richardson and play him all the way into the second quarter, like pretty far into the second quarter. Um, maybe, maybe the whole first half. You know, if uh, if we're looking at it in terms of he needs to play, I, I would I, I'd play him. I don't yeah. know that could not agree more. I don't that. know that Minshew. I don't know that Minshew needs a lot of time. Just being honest, so I, I'd play. I'd, if it was me, I think I'd play Richardson the first half. Let me ask you this, Joel. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's from the Indianapolis Star. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Um, every year there's there's a player, no matter what team you're covering, where you start to get into camp and you go, you know, I'm, is he is he like in trouble here? Like what happened? He's not. He's he's just not playing well. And, you know, Trent Richardson comes to mind. I mean, you know, like as the weeks went on, it was like, man, like what, what's happening? And obviously we found out there. Who that we have not talked about needs to start showing something? This is a good question, and it's one I was actually thinking about yesterday. Um, Shane Steichen had an interesting answer on the tight ends. He was talking about tight ends, and he mentioned Drew Ogletree, and he mentioned Farrell Brown, and he mentioned – you know, Jelani Woods had a hamstring injury. He mentioned that Will Mallory was hurt. And I, I, I couldn't help but notice that he didn't – I don't think he mentioned Mo Alley-Cox, um, which was interesting to me uh, as, as the most experienced player in, in that tight end room. And I, maybe that's nothing. You know, Mo is uh, – Alley-Cox is hurt right now. Um, it's an ankle with him. Uh, but I was I was just interested. They've, they've got all these tight ends in who – um, have some experience. They seem to like Mallory, even though he has not been on the on the field very much. And that, like, we're that's five tight ends I've just mentioned by name, and you don't normally carry five tight ends. And so now I'm, I kind of made a mental note to to try to figure out um, going forward. You know, if like who's who's going to end up being the odd man out? Are they really going to keep five tight ends? They, their history is that Shane Steichen's history is that he only plays three. So. That that's that's maybe the the name that popped into my head. It was after after he didn't mention him. I, I was kind of I was had my radar up. Again, Joel Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. The Colts will practice tomorrow and Thursday, and then head to Buffalo on Friday. It's a Saturday afternoon kick. One o'clock, I think, is kick time from Buffalo. Joel, I don't think we're maybe there this week. But I think you can make the argument next week that the question deserves to be asked, doesn't Jonathan Taylor need to practice soon if he wants to be ready for the opener? Like I, I almost feel like the contract talk has dominated so much of this that we have forgotten that a guy who has never had injury history in his football career until, whatever, last September, he has not practiced or played in a game since mid-December. He missed the last three games to end the 2022 season. Do you feel like we're nearing a date with Taylor? Like separate of the contract stuff, he just has got to practice if he's going to be ready week one. Uh, yeah, I I do think that probably the exact same timeline you gave. You know, uh, after that that first preseason game, you're looking at kind of a monthish uh, before before you play the first regular season game and. You know, we've we've seen guys go in with you know a couple weeks or whatever, but they they usually end up with a little bit of rust. Like 
you would you would like to see him on the field. Um, and there's there's still there's still some mystery around what exactly is you know like what his physical condition is. He's on the pup. Like what what does that mean? Um, there's there's a lot that. There's a lot that I would like to have answered in that in terms of that particular situation. What do you make of the Kenyon Drake signing? Kenyon Drake is a essentially he's he's a veteran that you can bring in and just know that you have somebody experienced. Like this is Kenyon Drake is is he a camp body or is he more than that? I, I think he is depth. I think I think you can keep him as depth if you want to. I, I don't know that. You know, he's insurance if something's wrong with Zach Moss's arm or something like that. I at this point in Kenyon Drake's career, I don't know if I see him as you know somebody that you would look at. He, even even when he was even when he was in the middle of his career, he was often a number two back. I don't know if you you look look at look at him as like if you if that's the message you're trying to send to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I mean, I. Just from me, I, I don't know that that's the, the kind of message that would freak me out. Really, I, I don't think uh, you I have think... to send a message, Joel. But I think the message is there. I, you can you can go in in mid August and sign a guy that played at the number one college football program in America and had one quarter the number of carries that Jonathan Taylor had in college and has averaged four and a half yards a carry in the pros over six seasons and just plug him in. Let's go. Okay, good. You don't like this it. Is this is also his fifth team, though. This is understood. Understood. But my point in being, in terms of what we're realistically expecting, in terms of what we're realistically expecting from a, I mean, I, I think that he can definitely do the job. But in terms of going above and beyond, like a, like what you would get from Zach Moss or something like that, I, I don't know that no, I'm expecting. Uh, of course, I totally get it. But you get my point. My point being, running backs are not like other positions and the fact that there are guys with experience sure might not be game breakers and Jonathan Taylor's a game breaker no question but those guys are out there and and I just think Jonathan Taylor if he's going to play hardball with them it's like yeah okay sure we're good I, I I don't think that's the message being sent here but if they so choose it it's a convenient one that they can throw out in terms of messaging that's all it's the way I look at it, it. is yeah, I I understand what you're saying. That's sort of the that's sort of the league's position is that none of these guys offer anything to your team that's worth that's worth going above and beyond for. I, I still think that if you have the game breaker type, especially with a young quarterback and maybe the potential to have less explosives in the offense, the passing game, that that the running back adds something there, but. You know, that's not what the NFL seems to think. So the NFL just disagrees with me. Joel A. Erickson is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, uh, with the Indianapolis Star, him and Nate Atkins have been all over it here. Throughout training camp, position battles of note, Joel, that you're still watching. It's kind of crazy to think. Just five practices left uh, at Grand Park. Two of those will be the joint sessions next week. Uh, Where are your eyes at kind of position battle-wise? Cornerback after yesterday... I kind of felt like for a while there with Brent's out um, and and Rush out that it was it was looking like Flowers and Baker for sure. Um, and now Brent's is back on the field and there were some deep passes hit on the first team yesterday. Uh, and now I'm starting to wonder if maybe that that's that's something that could go all the way down to the wire even after we're not seeing stuff at Grand Park. 
Uh, cornerback is definitely one of them. Um, it's tight end is another one. It's kind of odd to say, given like normally when you have a team coming off of a four win season, there's competition all over the place. But it does feel like the starters in a lot of spots are pretty set. Um, like offensive line wise, defensive line, linebacker, like those 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 starters in those spots all feel kind of set. Um, and yeah, I think tight end is the one that's really open. I, outside of that, to your point, you know, maybe one of those corner spots, but I don't think. I mean, unless Julian Blackman continues to miss time and Nick Cross starts to impress, I, I yeah, I, I'm, maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but it just seems like tight end's really the only one in my eyes that's truly, truly open. Yeah, tight. I, I agree with that. Tight. I mean, tight end, especially. I think, I think the biggest thing with tight end is that the person that we expected to take, or the person that I expected to take to be the the, I think he's kind of the only one who's got the the skill set to really play the Dallas Goddard role is Jelani Woods, and he hasn't really been on the field very much because of an injury. So um, I think that that one does does feel pretty wide open now. You know, Drew Ogletree's had a, had a pretty good camp coming off of that ACL, um, but but that one does feel pretty open. I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, outside of Brent uh, making a huge uh, push now that he's on the field, it, it, it feels like it's it's pretty set, and... And now you're trying to just figure out, okay, who fills out the rest of the the 53-man before the end of this is over. Uh, Joel, how big a step do you anticipate Alec Pierce taking this year, and how has he looked so far? So, from a Alec Pierce-only standpoint, I I think he's taking a pretty big step. And we've seen him making plays on some of the catches over the middle that were kind of sporadic last year. Um, I, I thought the other day when we interviewed him, it was a real sign of just how much he's grown in the way he he was talking about how different cornerbacks play him and how that cha- that like how he's thinking about how that alters the way he has to run the route. Like he was saying, Kenny Moore has long arms; he wants to get his hands on you, and and that's different from Daryl Baker, who trusts his speed and kind of plays behind you and makes it harder to you know do some of the comeback routes and stuff like that. That was the kind of stuff he didn't really talk about last year. Um, you know, I think last year as a rookie, you're you're trying to do all that stuff, but there's a lot there's a lot else that's new, and it's hard to do that kind of thing. This year, it feels like he's kind of in command of it, and really thinking through those details that Reggie Wayne can really help him with. Now, in terms of, I've been thinking about this with all the wide receivers from a volume standpoint, uh, and I obviously the Colts passing game was terrible last year. But from a volume standpoint, if this becomes more of a running game team with Anthony Richardson and, and whoever's going to play running back. Uh, I wonder if the receivers could be better this year and the numbers don't necessarily show it. Joel, last one. Because of a lack of volume. Right. No, I get it. And, and probably scheme to an extent. And it just, I, mean, I, Joel, my thought would be that this year, offensively in particular, that the Colts, you know, it's entirely possible. It's a slow rollout like restaurants have, right? I mean, like, they're not just going to come out in week one and be like, holy cow, they're throwing it all over the place. They're doing, I mean, it's going to be a slow rollout over the course of, like, probably 30 games, don't you think? Well, it's definitely going to take them time to figure out. Like, they, they have an idea right now of what they think they want to do, but... I mean, we know this better than better than anybody after having a different quarterback 
you know, for the Colts for however many. It usually takes half a season, even with veteran quarterbacks, to figure out exactly what you're doing. And, I mean, I know that was the previous staff, but that's also true of Steichen in Philadelphia. If you go back to the 2021 season with Philadelphia, uh, they were kind of scuffling halfway through the season, and then Sirianni gave up play calling. Steichen took it over. They altered what they were doing to emphasize Jalen Hurts' running ability, and then they started building into what they became last season. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting that to happen here, too. And just, you know, you can feel like you know what you have coming out of training camp, but it's obviously different than when someone is game planning for you and, and what happens when uh, they're disguising all this stuff and making it harder. And you're seeing, you're seeing unscouted looks where you think you know what the defense is going to do and then they're not. And, and that inevitably changes uh, what the offense is going to look like. So I think that's a good point. It's a good point that, and 30 games is a good point too, because obviously, you know, as a rookie, it's hard to find any rookie quarterbacks who just hit the ground running right away. It usually takes some time. And so they're, they're not going to know until Richardson starts to grow into it exactly what they want to do. Joel, last one from me. Um, how would you evaluate Garner Minshew through A-Praxis? I think just – to me, I just don't know – I don't see him as, as competition for Richardson in, in a way that some people have talked about him where like – well, if you put Minshew out there, you you have this really good chance to win a ton of games. I, I just it's been a lot of short completions. Um, he's not making a lot of plays down the field. When he's on the move, um, it often ends in a scramble for a yard or a throw out of bounds or something like that. He's not making a lot of plays on the move. Um, there've been on plays down the field. It feels like receivers have had to kind of come back for the ball a little bit. Um, he's he's a backup and. That's we we kind of they, the the league kind of signaled that by him signing a three and a half million dollar deal when you know guys like Andy Dalton were getting seven. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think coming into it, I thought maybe what other people thought, like some of that Jacksonville stuff, thinking of him as like you know almost a pseudo starter. And I don't know if we've seen that kind of player from him on the training camp field so far. The man that I think very understandably um, isn't afraid to rock a tank top to a baseball game. He okay. is Joel A. Erickson. I mean, his team's leading the NL Central. I'd I'd wear anything or nothing if he told me the Reds would be leading the <laughs> NL Central. Do you know who most has opposition to a guy wearing a tank top at a baseball game? The guy <laughs> sitting next to the guy wearing a tank top at That's a baseball probably game. Probably his family. Well, <laughs> family should be the one to be honest. Joel, uh, congrats on what your Brewers have done so far, and uh, thank you for the time on this Monday morning. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll see you out there later. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
I think an over-under win total on the Steelers this year, Jake. Kenny Pickett, year two? Seven and a half. Ooh. Mike DeCorsi going over-under seven and a half for your Steelers. Hey, I'm going over on that. I was going to say, I was thinking hovering around double digits. Yeah, probably. Actually, the over-under probably in Vegas for them is what, nine and a half? Oh, I don't think it's that high. I'd have to look it up. I was in the Bahamas last year for vacation. And I think it was seven and a half then. And I might have put $20 on that. And, and I may regret only putting $20 on that. <laughs> well, Mike Tomlin, you can surely expect a team that is going to be super competitive. Speaking of competitive, that is probably selling it short, what we've seen from a conference realignment standpoint. Um, Mike, let, let's start here. If you are middle to bottom feeder teams in the Big Ten from a football standpoint, what do you make of the move of Oregon and Washington? Yeah, well, I think that uh, no one who is one of those wants to stay one of those. And there's always the belief that that whoever is in that group can do better. There's all that's that's what sports are about. We can do better. Well, we can we can change that. And sometimes it happens. I mean, it happened uh, irrespective of. Uh, everything that uh, has become problematic over the last month and a half. Uh, Northwestern did that. Northwestern was way, was, was not middle at all. I mean, they were legendarily bad for a very long time and then became a very significant program in the league. So it is possible to do that. It, it, it did just become significantly more difficult to do that with the addition of Oregon in particular and Washington at its potential. Mike, the 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 way it stands right now, I am under the belief, I'm curious your thoughts, they're gonna go two more. And I have a feeling on, on who I think those two are going to be, but let's let's table that by asking this. The remaining Pac twelve schools, certainly Cal and Stanford have the cachet, academically in particular to probably have more flexibility. Do all four of those just go Mountain West and we're done with it? Or do Cal and Stanford still get in play, for example, in the Big Ten? Well, I don't think it's out of the question, but I also don't think – I think the difference what, – what, look, if, if they were looking for academic power, I mean, I, I'm not saying that the, the, the Big Ten doesn't live up to the commitment that when they add somebody – it it has it has a certain academic profile. That's been absolutely true, uh, but that that but they don't add somebody because of it. I mean, they they don't look for they have not ever looked for someone because of that. They've looked for someone because it made their athletic league better, and then but only but then that that someone would only become. Uh, an attractive target if they also met all the other Big Ten criteria over time. And so they're not going to get in based on that, or they, or, or that would have been a consideration before. The problem that Stanford and Cal have, and really the entire Pac-12, and I think that's kind of what has been lost over, over the conversation and all this, the problem that those schools have, uh, and, 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 but to a lesser extent, the two Southern California schools and Oregon and Washington is that their followings aren't great. That's, that's why they couldn't get, even with all the tremendous markets they have, think about it. The big 12 
the number was around thirty, thirty-one million dollars per school. And I and and I'll tell you right now, if 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 the Pac-12 had been able to go into the market and get that, every everybody but, but except possibly Colorado would still be in the Pac-12. And if they had the inkling that that's where it was going to end up, they may have stayed too. I think Colorado got tired of waiting around and sort of figured out this isn't going to happen and let's go ahead and do this now while everybody else waited. They waited and waited and waited and said, okay, what's the number? What's the number? And then the number comes up and it's like 20 plus whatever you guys can generate. And they looked around and they said, we don't generate that well. We're not going to get some big number. Like Lionel Messi's not coming in our league and all of a sudden going to send our number soaring. Because that's just not the way the Pac-12 has been. Their followings just aren't as passionate as they are in other parts of the country. And that became the problem for them. And that's the problem that exists for Stanford and Cal now. Mike DeCourcy is with us. You see him on Big Ten Network, right? for Sporting News. It's at TSN Mike on Twitter. Um, CBS obviously would have a say, or at least I would assume would have a big, big say in this, Mike. And maybe it's me overreacting, but what should be my fear level on the future of March Madness as we know it? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's probably it, it's you, you've got to be alert, uh, you've got to be aware of the threat. But m- again, most of what's happened, all nearly all of what's happened over realignment over the last now fourteen, fifteen years, has been what can we do to make more money. The people who understand March understand that this tournament, the way it's formulated, is a magic formula. You could separate it. Like, like think of it as the Beatles, okay? Like, John, Paul, George, and Ringo all did spectacularly well as individual acts. But as the Beatles, they were untouchable by anybody that's ever played. And, and so... You can take the tournament and you can make some money playing basketball, but you keep it as it is, and everybody makes more than they could ever possibly imagine making a part. Because that formula is, if the popularity of college basketball generally is X, the popularity of the NCAA tournament is literally like X times five. And you can't just say, well, if we just had the big schools, we'd make so much more money, or at least we'd make as much and we'd keep it for us. Like, as it is now, X times five. Break it apart, and you're back at X. Why would you do that? You know, Mike, the, the here's what's interesting to me. I mean, I agree with that, but yet this realignment is almost entirely, and I'm going by people that were somewhat – part of some of the movement on it entirely driven by yes money but in the big tens standpoint it was football driven it was football programs versus basketball programs which is why like for example even the big 12 and i'll give the big 12 credit i thought the big 12 you know they they were proactive but there was a a a talk there for a while that the big 12 was the one going to be the one that, that ended up being the pick through carcass in Kansas possibly was going to be left out because they were not a football but rather a basketball school. But because of the constant evolution of this, what stops, and I don't mean, Mike, a year from now, but five to ten years from now, what would stop the UCLA, the USC's, the Michigan's, the Ohio State's 
from then waking up one day and saying, you know what, let's go one step further. Purdue ain't carrying their weight. Northwestern, I'm tired of subsidizing Northwestern. I'm tired of subsidizing Minnesota. Let's boot them out. Let's 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 play hardball. What stops that from happening? Well, I think that honestly, and this is way above my pay grade. Uh, I think whatever what stops that from happening, if it would be the nature of the agreement between the schools, and I don't. I don't know what that agreement is. That's why I said above my pay grade. I don't know what the the language of the charter or the uh, whatever agreements they sign when they when they add new members. I I don't have any idea what it says in those documents. So that's where I I can't say. Um, I know it's not really ever happened, and so I assume that there that it's either collegiality or there's something in those documents that says it can't happen. Uh, but we, we've not ever seen it happen in any league. And I think, and there's one more component. I, it, it, I'm, I, and I'm not, um, I am not picking on any of the people that you mentioned in particular, but if, if indeed there's someone in the league that's not very good, let's say, and I'm not going to pick any particular school. Again, Northwestern at one point was not very good at basketball. They just made the NCAA tournament. One point wasn't very good at football. They played in two of the last five or six in, uh, Big Ten championship games. So, but, but you always have – somebody out there has to lose the games. So that's part of it. You have to have somebody to beat. And if you have somebody that and, – and again, Northwestern doesn't fit this profile anymore. Uh, but if there's someone out there that's pretty good at getting beat – that makes them an appealing partner. Are you football uh, knocking on the door right there? The Washington Generals have been added as the Big Ten's 19th team. <laughs> Mike, I, if you don't mind, I want to go back to the March Madness thing. And again, this is my fear speaking, so I apologize yeah. up front. But nope. will there be a time where you've got these ADs or university presidents from these mega conferences and say, you know, screw the swack getting an automatic bid. Why don't we, as a bigger brand, get a seat at the tournament table? And now there's 12 teams from our conference in there. Like, financially, how would that look, of course? But do you think that is a possibility that we get to, based off how these mega conferences seem to be controlling everything, where they just push the little guy off the table? Well, that's what I was just talking about, though, Kev. I was talking about... The, the fact that, again, just using simple math, and I'm just, and this is a reality. These are, these are close to real numbers. The popularity of college basketball is X, whatever that X figure represents. The t- popularity of the NCAA tournament as a television product is literally somewhere in the ballpark of X times five. The, the formula of automatic bids and all of that and one versus 16 and all of that makes that tournament worth a fortune. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, as of next year, a $1.1 billion that's going to come to the NCAA, and most of that goes back to the participating schools. $1.1 billion just for three weeks of college basketball. That's a ton of money, and, and it's a very reliable ton of money. Now, there are people in the business, in, in, the, in the television business or the consulting television business who will tell you, that $1.1 billion now that, that, that Mark Emmert agreed to in 2016 and, and the NCAA structure agreed to in 2016 is an undervalue. That this tournament as it's constructed now, if it were able to go into the open market today, would be worth even more than that. So I don't think that 
I don't think that that's a, a risk. I think the risk, really, the biggest risk, is in big, bigger conferences. Uh, and I, this was particularly true of the SEC a year ago, as the SEC grew to 16, saying, "Are there going to be enough bids for all of us for all of our good teams?" Well, let's get just let's just have more bids. Let's make it 72. Okay, more bids, or or what that committee, the Division One's. Uh, transformation committee said which was 25 percent of your participating membership which in basketball men's basketball is more than 90 teams and so the mathematical uh uh the structural uh circumstance would say 96 that's the risk and it's a terrible risk because it not only ruins the x times five it ruins the x because you guys know I, i do the brackets for fox sports so I know what's on both sides of that line between 68 and 69. I know what's on both sides of that line. And believe me, there are not qualified tournament teams on the other side of that line. There are not teams that are going to make it richer. And what you do is, if you make it easier to get in, then what happens is that the already somewhat problematic popularity of the regular season a lot of people in your business who, who who do national work and who don't work in a market where college basketball is extraordinarily valued don't even pay attention to basketball until march don't even pay attention to the ncaa to ncaa basketball until march and they say ah it's a one-month sport well if you take it to 96 you're telling them they're right because 96 says Anybody that can dribble the ball three times without bouncing it off their foot, totally agree. A tournament team. And, and here's the thing, Mike: the numbers would tell like you Notre that Notre Dame might have got in last year. It's the final fours need Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, Kansas because the ratings would tell you that it's when the blue bloods are in there that the ratings go up. Yes, but the but round one needs Northwestern State and Northern Iowa, and you know, I mean, the the drama of it that that makes it what it is. I mean, it's. It's absolutely the greatest. By the way, Mike, uh, Steelers over under is eight and a half in Vegas, which means they are uh, predicted. And I'm a Steelers fan growing up. I was a Steelers fan as well. Uh, 500 team, baby. Right there in the middle. <laughs> Can't go 500 anymore, Jake. I know. Well, it's you not, don't. It's, it's so if you, impossible. here's the thing. If, if the over under is eight and a half and they go eight, eight and one, is that a push? That's an under. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. I think it is. I think it should be a push. You got a half a win in there. Isn't it eight and a half? <laughs> Come on, man. I don't know. Eight and a half you wins. Mean, I think it's just that far left column. Do. Mike, you know me. I'm the eternal optimist, man. I mean, people tell me. I just I just ooze and radiate sunshine everywhere I walk because I'm such an, a positive outlook guy. You need one of those uh, bookmaking people in here to tell you whether or not that's a push because <laughs> I don't know the answer to that either. I don't know. What's in the document, and I don't know whether a tie uh, on the over and under counts as a push. That's right. Send you back to the Bahamas, Mike, for some education (laughs) on that front. Uh, Great stuff, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, fellas.